Welcome everyone to Spiritful Wanderings. We're here today with our special guest, Sarah Salter Kelly, who is a beautiful shaman and energy healer and has just wrote, written a book called Trauma as Medicine. And uh, she's here with us from Grand Forks. And it's so dear to my heart to get to interview Sarah because she was my very first shaman teacher and sort of the first teacher that taught me about the wild <laughs> and took me into ceremony work. And it's really sweet to reconnect here and um, do you want to share a little bit more about who you are, Sarah, and what it is that you bring to the world? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, first off, Courtney and Rochelle, thanks for having me on the podcast, and thank you for that introduction, Courtney. Um, as you mentioned, I've just finished writing this book, and um, it's you know a 25-year process in many ways because it is detailing the journey of my mother's homicide and um, bringing forth tools and practices and resources to support other people and going into deep dark territory of trauma. So the intention being how do we allow for be with and integrate what shows up for us in the experiences of the unspeakable and then allow them to do the work that perhaps they're intended to, which is to open us up to the, the power of our, our most infinite uh, possibilities of who we are, to open our hearts to compassion, to allow ourselves to um, digest and compost and assimilate the experience in the act of metabolization. And so in these past 25 years, the 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 journey for me if you will has been about how do i integrate this into my my own personal experience and then how do i offer up tools to support others because i found when i was going about healing myself that it was really difficult to find any types of tools that felt for me that they would support me in moving into the fear or into the deepest part of trauma. Most of them seem to come more from the place of, you know, you either have to suck it up or you just have to kind of just learn to accept that's what it is. And it didn't really feel like there was something that said, you know, get down dirty with your trauma and go right in there. And, um, uh, and open to what is scary and and the biggest parts that freak you out. And I coming from, you know, a bit of a hardcore street punk place wanted it to be, um, I wanted to go there. I hate the sensation of there being anything that makes me feel bound. And I knew that if I wasn't looking at any of these pieces in my journey, then I wasn't experiencing freedom. And so my energy healing background honestly comes initially from my own practice before it was training. Although I was a part of the pagan movement, the reclaiming tradition in Alberta from the time I was 17 and was really comfortable with creating my own ceremonies and practicing outside on the land through the connection to the moon cycles and the Sabbaths. It was um, learning how to experience the the process of grief and trauma address my mother's perpetrator and move into an experience of compassion and forgiveness that really uh, became the fundamental teachings that i came to share which you know ended up opening up doorways to working in peru with different indigenous healers i've traveled down there eight times i've worked with nikki scully who's a really great shamanic teacher out of uh oregon um as well as studied programs that uh, about social justice, restorative justice, looking at ways that how do we how do we take what it is that has been a part of our own journey, and also recognize how it can be a piece of seed in the healing of the whole. So that's Cole's notes, five minute summary. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it, it sounds like you created your own village, like you took every possible piece you could from your own life and from around you to create what you wanted to have in order to support yourself and others yeah yeah because when you're talking I just keep feeling like like what aches in my heart is how I know in my bones that we are meant to have a village to support us 
in healing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, our society is so deeply isolating and, and it's so difficult. It's like, you have to put in so much effort to find and create that village. If you want to have the healing experience or give the healing experience, like maybe you can speak to that and how you worked around the way society is structured to actually create what you've created. Yeah, that's actually a really good question, Michelle. Um, And what's coming up initially for me is because I can look back on who I was, I'm 45 now, so I can look back on who I was at 20 uh, when my mother was murdered and and what resources were around, what was happening and, and what supported me. And there definitely, there really wasn't a village. I was, uh, you know, I have a sister that's two years older than me and we were probably each other's best support. However, there wasn't, um, there really wasn't services. There wasn't people. None of my friends at that age had any idea of how to be with something like this. And some tried, but most of them were subject to the philosophies in our culture, such as, um, oh, you're still upset about that, or I'm just not going to talk about it because I don't know what to say, mm-hmm. or like like all of that stuff, right? It was too big for them. Um, one even made it about her. She said it was too painful for her to ask me about it. Mm-hmm. And so there was all of these things where I was like, and I just knew energetically I had to go into this. Mm-hmm. And so what a beautiful thing if we have had a culture or a society where we were holding each other through these processes. And, and, and that is a lot of what I create when I'm teaching a trauma as medicine program, or as Courtney mentioned, I taught a shamanic practitioner program for um, many years in Alberta as well. And so it's creating a space where we can really be held and we can go into those deep and difficult wounds because if we're not, there's only so far we can go ourselves. If we're not seen in our pain and allow for that most deepest of vulnerability, I don't feel like we can get to the real core of it. That, you know, like there was some experiences that showed up unexpectedly in my journey. And, and one I de- detail in the book about a, a ceremony in, um, in Oregon um, that where I went through a really profound energetic initiation into allowing not just my grief and trauma, but the trauma of the, of the, the world in many ways to come through me. And it happened in such a way that there was a group that could tend to it and create ceremony and create music and, and hold it, um, which brought healing to all of us. So there's that piece of being seen. I think our grief and trauma require a community. So I think what's absent when we look at the ways in which people struggle, struggle is first off, they aren't willing to see it themselves. And second off, they're sure as hell not going to let it be seen by their community, be that their family, their world. It's that whole holding it together. And I need to be so strong. And, and I, I do have a whole chapter on, on feelings and why we feel, um, why we need to, why we don't think we can and what we can do to change that. Mm. Yeah. Well, what, what I love about what you're speaking there about that, Sarah, is just this place of like, um, it's crazy how much that feeds this idea that there's something wrong with the pain. Yeah. Like what I love about what you speak about is, is that the pain is, is yeah. part of life. The pain is part of the journey. Like we actually, that is the spiritual journey. And so it's like the second we're in these spaces where we can't move towards that, it sort of creates this sense that that's not that separate. That's not part of it. And I remember the first time I went to your trauma as medicine, I didn't know who you were. I showed up at trauma as medicine and we were going right into that, those places. And my whole being was so relieved. I was just like, Oh Mm. my God, (laughs) like just, I felt my whole being and we're being with these really big, you know, heavy, heavy things. And my soul was so nourished because it's like, okay, we're actually, we're actually going to do the work. We're Mm -hmm. actually going Mm -hmm. to learn the lessons that's actually going to help us grow and how much, even just the permission Mm -hmm. giving, even just the, like, this is what we're going to do. And we're all going to be okay. (laughs) You know, like, and actually we're going to make it through and we're going to laugh too. And we're going to like, 
cry and we're going to scream and there's all these things and we're all going to sing under the moon and it's going to be wonderful. It felt so mm. integrative. It's felt like this very integrative. And I felt this part of my soul just come out into the, into the world more of like, okay, like there's other people that want to move through this stuff as well. And so um, I'm just curious how you learned to hold, how like, was, was there anyone that did that for you? Where did you encounter this mm. space? of someone being able to witness you in those hmm. places? Um, I had a, the first thing that's coming, Courtney, is this friend of mine who introduced me to, uh, to paganism. Um, and so the, my first teacher, if you will, of ceremony-based tradition. And this was in the time period in my life where I was homeless off and on, you know, I was 16, 17 and, um, and we had some really profound spiritual experiences together. And because she was a couple of years older than me, I really looked up to her, you know, and she just had this integrity because she had, uh, her mother had suicided the year before. So she had this integrity that I hadn't experienced in any other friends that age. And so when my mom died, she was really the only person that I knew understood to some level of what I was going through. And so I'd say that she became the first most important witness, you know, that space that we need witnesses and we need somebody who can help us to trust and be with our intuition and what is happening. And then through time, I explored, uh, you know, group, group ceremony that was in the reclaiming tradition, uh, initially more celebrating the, the solstices and equinoxes. And then in a circle that I practiced in for a couple of years in my twenties, initially it was a, a teaching or a training uh, workshops and then in a group of women. And so that experience of being in those containers definitely resonated, uh, and I'd also say, you know, when I was in my teens, my mom had put me in personal growth workshops starting at about 14. And even though that was a more of a formal context, there was still circle, there was still people holding space, there was still um, the recognition that we had to go into some of the difficult emotions that were coming up. So I think that that, that and, and, uh, and all my rebellious chi. <laughs> that rebellious chi of mine that I'm, that I'm learning how to, to integrate, you know, at midlife <laughs> <laughs> where it was just, just refusal to believe that there wasn't a way for us to embody and integrate. And though those words, I don't think I had at the time, I just, for me, I would have, I would have navigated more towards the word freedom. And so freedom would have been the, mm. that main one. How, how do we be free and recognizing kind of the, the BS that has shown up in my own experiences when I had maybe had a, somebody in the supporting role that instead of recognizing I needed to move into the pain, attempted to lead me elsewhere mm-hmm. and how my whole body was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why I so, you? yeah, right? I can so relate to that feeling yeah. like, I mean when whenever I'm really deeply just needing things to move and then someone saying something positive quote unquote to shift me I'm like no come with me come there with yeah. me take me there I want yeah. you to be there with me and just the agony I mean I don't think there's anything more painful for me is when I need to feel something and there's a block because someone's trying to steer me away from the pain. And I'm like, no, like you don't understand. I want to be with this so badly. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I would love to hear as well, like some tools that, I, I mean, for situations when you're with someone who's in going in deep into a deep thing. I mean, I know for me how I support that. But what if you're in the situation where you need the support and it's not there or like, what are some like tangible tools that you would give in your, I mean, sure it's in your book, but <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for those kinds mm-hmm. of situations. Yeah. I hear you, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the biggest pieces individually and collectively is that we, we have an unwillingness to acknowledge our victim self and yet our, our victim self 
it, you know, is going to rise up kicking and screaming when we encounter experiences of um, conflict or grief or, or any, any type of challenge. If that old pain hasn't been recognized, then she's going to come up and be like, screw you. You have to hear me. <laughs> I will be acknowledged. I will. And um, maybe what it is, is that those that can't be with that um, energy that's arising is because there's a refusal for them to acknowledge any of their own historical victim self or pain bodies. And we, it's because we have such an aversion to even using the word victim in a, in a workshop at one point, I had somebody, um, you know, re really challenge that, you know, I was speaking at an Aboriginal health and wellness conference and she um, wanted it to be more about like to look prettier. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't like to call myself that. And I said, well, neither do I, but what I've noticed is that the refusal for me to have recognized that there's ways in which I was victimized or ways in which I was powerless. If I didn't acknowledge them, mm -hmm. I wasn't able to go into them and do the work to transform them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we're in that place of like, let's pretty that shit up, it doesn't help us to heal. And so mm -hmm. for our own selves, when we're going down deep, my favorite practice, honestly, is a lot of inquiry to notice the energy. Where is it hanging out in my body? What does it need to be spoken, heard? Um, if, if I'm too much in my head, then it's usually something physical, getting out on the land, walking, hiking, swimming, mm -hmm. you know, dancing, something that can help what's coming up to be seen so that I'm being the witness for it. So there isn't a container around me. I'm still letting that energy come. I'm really big on singing outside in the forest. I do mm -hmm. it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so whatever, you know, journaling, writing down what you're noticing as far as where is this voice coming from? What does she need from me or he obviously, or they, um, and doing the work of tending to that most sacred part of you that is asking to be heard. Mm -hmm. I think it's that whole, I hear you. I see you. Mm -hmm. I've got you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. There, there's a, like, there's a space yeah. for you here. There's a space for you here. And, and also like teach me. Cause I, I, whenever I go into those spaces, like that's, that part teaches yeah. me something, you know, something that I'm not noticing, something that I'm not aware of that, that I need that part yeah. to teach me. And, um, you know, and it's less about getting it to go away or getting it to, but I like how you said yeah. this word integrate. It's like more about what am I not seeing in you that then as I learn about you, you become a part of me. And now I actually can learn the lesson or, mm -hmm. you know, engage mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. or. Um, one of the things to share about Sarah that I appreciated about her work was how much like when you'd show up at her programs, I mean, there was teaching, but so much of it was like, go out and discover your own wild mm. self, you know, go and listen to your own wild voice, go and just that, that, that um, um, capacity to really guide, not to create such a container that this is the journey, but more you created a container of who are you and where's your voice and how are you going to be with this? Um, and that was such a powerful teaching for me right out of my, and I also had a lot of, have had a lot of rebellious <laughs> cheat. So I, I was know. like, this is my kind of, <laughs> this is my kind of thing. Um, but I, I just would love for you to speak to that about how you knew to teach in that way or to, to guide people in that way of, of hearing their own inner. Yeah. Inner yeah. Uh, a note on that too, Courtney, is that one of the hardest things, even in writing the book that I struggled with is like, how can I, how can I say that there's a way, <laughs> you know, and yet then recognize that it's helpful for us to, be conscious that certain elements show up when we're going into the underworld. And I mm -hmm. use the, the underworld as the mythic description of where we go when we're entering that place of, of grief, trauma, inner conflict, whatever it is for the individual. Um, and that these things will happen organically. And so uh, one of the things that I actually loved about working with Courtney <laughs> is that I like teaching spontaneously. And there's a, there's a piece of me <clears throat> that believes wholeheartedly that spirit will show you what you need, what needs to be seen in the moment. And that when you're working with a group, there's such a, 
uh, there's a collective life force that is formed that is inherent of and unique to that group. And so though you might have an agenda as a facilitator of certain points that you want to relay to support somebody's growth, it's their process and not yours. And what's important is that they're finding a way to experience direct revelation in, in such a uh, capacity or so that it, it supports their capacity to trust in themselves. And so, you know, people would have a, some sort of task at hand and they would go out on my land and, you know, for an hour, an hour and a half, and then come back and we'd circle and we'd debrief and we'd see what happened. And, uh, and whenever it was Courtney's turn to share, not every time, but many of the times Courtney would be like, okay, so I didn't do any of the things that you told me. <laughs> I followed none of the instructions and I'd always be like, great, <laughs> tell me about it. And, and the beauty in having you in that circle is first off, what a teaching for everybody else, because likely there was many people in that circle who maybe some of the suggestions that I gave them were helpful, but maybe there were some other things that they wanted to try or do or explore that weren't on the list and perhaps due to their pleaser self was reluctant to, to experience those types of things, you know? And so it just became a really great teaching in the group. And even if whatever the task at hand was that I was um, perhaps setting the group up for, let's say a ceremony that would be doing the next day or the following day or in the evening. And there might've been a part that I thought was crucial that the people needed to, to get or comprehend in order to be a part of that ceremony, Courtney might not have done that. And it didn't matter because what she did do was the piece that she needed. Right. And that somehow it, I trusted that it would work together. So, you know, it would just be, oh, okay, well, I guess that you don't need this part. So how about this? And how could like, it's, it's recognizing that there's always, um, there's always win-win. There's always a, a place in, in each individual's unique expression of the light, unique expression of who they are to open and grow. And that if we structure teachings in such a way that it impedes or restricts their capacity to trust themselves, because there's so many rules, then I know for me, that would just shut me down. And particularly because I'm working with people who um, often who have a history of trauma, that's just going to shut them down. You know, if it's, oh, you have to do it X, Y, and Z, it will either um, add to their need to be in control of everything or shut them down. And if we're going to heal, if we're going to really open up to uh, what's wanting to come through us, we have to let go of our need to be in control of everything, right? So we, that means that we cannot have all of these rules around us that are so structured, we want to be able to listen and move out of the head and into an integrated experience in the heart that allows for head wisdom and belly wisdom to come together. Mm -hmm. oh, it makes me feel as you're speaking that this place of where also then like spirit and magic and the earth have this space to actually yeah. work with us, you know, and to, to move it, you know, there's like this intention, but now there's like, all this space for something else to yeah, guide us. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because it's not, it's not just the the person who's the workshop participant and the facilitator. If we're in the context of a private session, healer, healy, that's just a small fragment. What we're all we're doing is wanting to open our hearts to the to source. We're you know and and the animation of that that shows up through the land and our relationship with the land and our relationship with the um, the animal people and our relationship with with life and when we open up to that amazing shit happens <laughs> wow oh sir i love how you embody so much feminine in what you're speaking to i i just finished watching gabor mate's wisdom of trauma series i don't know if you tuned into that i did i did because but, i'm really trying to get him to read my book oh uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think he should because but, you know it's so it's what really um, made impression on me from that was just that it, I, now that I'm speaking with you, I can really feel the feminine side. And then that to me was like the masculine side, like how, you know, there were some female um, interviewees, which were, you know, 
sort of somewhere around the middle road, but um, you know, those kind of wounded masculine, it's like a Bormate just takes that piece and holds it so beautifully to see, you know, the potential of men healing. But and I talk to you and it's just there's so much motherliness in how you embody healing. So I'm just wow Let's i'm really excited i can really yeah i can really see I, how, how courtney's worked with you too i can really see how well i met him at a conference a few <laughs> years ago and um you know and and chatted with him for a bit um i was just saying i met him at a conference a few years ago and yeah. he told me that he would um am i still am i on yeah oh sorry it was my headphones oh, okay <laughs> And he, he told me he would read my book in a year and a half. And that was about three years ago. So I keep emailing him every few months and he's really great at getting back to emails. So bless him for that. I'm sure he's a busy guy, but I've tried every tactic so far. So I'm not going to give up. Like I've tried the like uber confident. This is the best book ever. And then I've tried that, you know, I really think that you would find this a useful tool to share with people. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll I would love to see your work. <laughs> I would love to see your work just more out there in the world because this is, I mean, as you're speaking, it's just my whole body's coming alive. Going, yes, yes, yes. It's sort of like I used to really been to Tara Brock, and she was the first time that I'd ever read a book that said go towards the pain. And I was like, yay, there's someone, there's someone that's actually doing the thing that feels right to me. Mm-hmm. And you see, it feels like you're just taking that to this whole, even a more holistic level. So I'm really excited about what you're doing. Thank you, Rochelle. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the things I just think is really interesting too, is this whole melding of Um, because so much trauma is also from the disconnection with the earth, you know, it's like from disconnection with culture. Like when you talk Sarah about the bigger cultural context of like pain and, you know, the collective trauma, there's something really beautiful about how you're actually using these tools in the trauma healing, because it's like, it's directly addressing some of the overarching trauma, which is like affecting everything, which is loss of ritual, loss of circle, loss of, you know, that, that feeds all the other traumas because that container isn't there. And so I really love how you're working with trauma, but it's not in an office building, you know, sitting in (laughs) chairs. It's like in this way that it directly brings in the resources that are missing that's, that's feeding trauma. And I'd love to just hear what that's been like for you to be this. I'm thinking of us one time we were in a course together in an office building in chairs with like air conditioning. And we were both just like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) I think that that experience made me wonder if like, I, like I likely I was undiagnosed ADD. Like, right? I was like, whoa, yeah. I hadn't been in a room like that for so many years. And I, the whole time, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was rocking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm just curious about this, what it's been like for you to merge these. I mean, they're not two worlds, but in a way they can be seen as two worlds because there's sort of like trauma, like mm-hmm. as we know it, like this mm-hmm. kind of knowledge-based trauma, like the science of it and these kinds of things. But then with like ceremony, mm-hmm. ritual, earth-based, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about mm-hmm. that. And one of the great things about teaching workshops outside on the land is that the land does most of the work, the facilitator work for you. Um, you know, there's the symbolism, the symbolism and the, the mythos of nature just naturally speaks to us. Naturally, we gain an understanding and, and a sense of revelation that I don't think it's possible for us to gain in the same way when we're in a, you know, closed office air conditioned space, not to say that we can't have profound experiences in that space. Sure we can. However, for that really full embodied experience where we are engaging all of our senses and we're actually forming direct relationship with the land, like you said, when we're looking at one of our cardinal wounds, which is our disconnect from the sacred feminine. It is our severance of our own indigeneity, our own um, historical land-based people that were colonized many, 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 many um, hundreds of years ago uh, for those of us of European background in Europe. And so that definitely plays a role in our capacity to move into trauma because we don't recognize how the natural cycles 
work. We don't, we don't sit there on a day-to-day basis and, and, you know, stare into a forest and see that the trees that have fallen down in the forest are also becoming the food for the mycelium and the bugs and the moss and this whole network of life. We're disconnected from that. And so we think when we go through an experience of pain, that, um, that somehow that pain can't be connected to who we are and to our whole realm of life experience. We want to get over it and get rid of it and move on as quick as possible. We don't see that it actually becomes the fibers that, that feed, I think, um, the exact reason why we have come here. And so when we're out on the land and when we're starting to go, oh, okay, look at how everything has a place here. Maybe there's a place for this as well inside of me. Look at how, um, you know, the, the cycles of the earth work in relation to the solstices in relation to the equinoxes or how much I need an experience of the night equal to the fact that I need an experience of the day. So we get to the really simple place of what do these um, pieces represent and how can I look at myself as a child of this planet as a child of this, um, you know, universe and see that I fit my trauma fits all of it somehow fits together. It has a meaning. It has a purpose and bringing my attention towards it will actually bring me into a state of homeostasis with everything around me as well as myself, rather than to be in that place of contraction where, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a metaphor for what that contraction would look like in the forest, maybe a clear cut, you know, like where I'm just like, let's chop that shit down. Let's get rid of it. Ensure it will heal in time, <laughs> but it will take a really long time and some things might be lost forever. And so that, that place of when we're on the land, it, it's going to provide what we need to integrate. Hmm. I love your analogy of the clear cut it's making me think of the greater context of trauma on this whole planet right now and how there's just so much coming up for healing. Like it's just incredible. And um, we're all trying to hold ourselves and our wounds and also the collective wounds right now. Like I just feel like there's a real reckoning happening and yeah, how do you how do you differentiate between your stuff and the collective and mm. how do you work with both those things in yourself and with others? How do you hold all of those pieces? Mm. Mm. Uh, I think one of the important things for each of us is to is to recognize that is to recognize the need for self-care first off so that whatever it is that we're holding, we're, we're not doing it at the cost of our own well-being. And so to recognize the need for us to be loving and graceful with ourselves, even as we're coming to recognition or awareness of how, how deeply traumatized much of our planet is. And then there's work to be done. So there's work to be done in that, in that self-care uh, or in that, not in the self-care piece, you know, that's first, and then in addressing our own trauma. And there's a link to the collective. And so I think that whatever triggers us most in the collective is symbolic of what we have to recognize or work on within ourselves. Mm. These are just shadows coming up. And these are just, you know, pieces that, that again, if we think of what I said earlier about the victim self that need to be tended to and acknowledged in order for them to go through any process of metabolization. Um, a piece in my own story that may be a useful example in this is that um, the person who murdered my mother, when he was found guilty of murder one, he suicided in prison about six weeks later. And so that was in April of 97. And so part of my desire to make sense of this also, you know, came from um my mother was a life coach and I was very much surrounded by personal growth and, uh, pot, you know, philosophy in the belief that there's no accidents and everything happens for a reason. And so much of that was the impetus that led me into desiring, how do I understand the reason for, 
her homicide. And after I had gone through my grief process with that at about the 10 year mark, then it was like, how do I address my feelings towards this guy, you know, who was dead. And so I went through my own process of creating a ceremony over almost a year to do that. And as I digested and processed that, I, and so what I haven't said is that he was first nations and part of understanding who he was, that I had to understand where he came from. And so in that desire to understand where he came from, I contacted the first nations that he was from, um, and was connected with a former chief and ended up spending a lot of time learning about the satellite Cree nation and being invited to actually teach trauma as medicine circles through some of the resolution health, uh, residential school support services. And what that ended up uh, imparting on me was a much more deeper understanding of the collective wound of colonization and the, the very visceral experience of, um, of, of genocide. And then how that then became compound trauma, generational trauma. Um, because here I am working in communities where often I was also the only white girl and I'm listening to stories and I'm holding circle and I'm, um, you know, sharing my story, but my story of homicide is nothing. Many people within those circles all had a story of homicide as well as somebody in their family who had committed homicide. And so it was, it was really taking the time to be with people's stories and a deeper understanding of how the, the, the roots of our settler origin or speaking for myself of my settler origin, um, impacted the history of Canada. And, and, and not from a place where I needed to, to fix it or make anything better, but just to listen to and be with and um, acknowledge and tend to what was coming up for these individuals in the, in the circle, or if it was a program that I was teaching. Uh, so I would say that your question was about how do we be with the personal and the collective? The reason why I started off was saying that we need to make sure that we're rooted and tending to ourselves because then we have a vast capacity to be with whatever is personal and to recognize that what's personal is collective. There is a direct relationship with everything that we have experienced. And somehow some of the medicine from our own personal trauma can be of service for that of the whole. And so in my work of listening to and understanding some of the historical trauma, you know, I have been able to, to share that and to offer up um, more educational pieces for people who had no idea, right? Or who were stuck in the judgments or the stereotypes that are indicative of white privilege and racism. Um, I would also speak to, um, eventually I met the sister of uh, the perpetrator and her name is Marilyn. And, you know, we met on the grounds that was the former residential school where her mother went to school and um, over the years have also held circle or done talks where we're just simply sharing our stories. And so that piece of, of recognizing that if we move into the most difficult and painful and tragic and traumatic then something amazing happens. If we hold ourselves in the space of, um, I need to get over it, they need to get over it, whatever that, you know, we get stuck. I think that allowing ourselves to be curious is maybe the more profound piece because if we're curious, if we're like, oh, I have that feeling again, or, oh, this person really needs to talk about this trauma again, you know, and then the curiosity helps us to, to recognize perhaps what it's sourced in and perhaps how um, our, our act of community witnessing and listening can help it to heal. That sounds like just uh, bringing a consciousness mm -hmm. to whatever's coming up, be it personal or collective. And as you say, they're linked. And to me, it feels like there's um, an element of surrender in there. Like there's a curiosity, but it's not like, I like, I love, they're also mixed in just this surrender feeling for me that you're, 
you're kind of trusting and handing over a process to a higher, I mean, that's just what's coming up for me right now as you're saying this, that there's something that's holding you that is perhaps even bigger than you and that you can lean into that. And so in the process of being curious, mm-hmm. curious, you're being held by this bigger picture that will work to do the magic that needs to happen to transform the trauma. Like, I'm just, I'm so curious about the higher power piece. Like, do you work with that? Like, I, I feel like as a human, I just can't shoulder all of the things <laughs> that are happening in myself and in the world. So how do you work with, like, what, do you, how do you relate to the bigger piece that's working the magic? The higher power piece. Um, it's making me, it's making me feel like, um, allowing for a little reading for my book about mm-hmm. that could be a helpful uh so this one's on higher purpose um just one i'm just flipping i'm flipping pages uh i wasn't sure which which i would read today um okay so there's one that in one of the chapters, uh, which is called approaching the underworld. I have a, a list of some of the things, you know, my reluctance to do lists, Courtney, but of some of the things, <laughs> you know, that often show up on our journey and those are setting intention, uh, the awareness that you're not alone. There's a higher purpose, creating personal safety, showing up for yourself, getting into your body, creating an altar and utilizing altered states. And so I want to speak to uh, what Rochelle just asked, and it's under you're not alone calling your team to the table. The unseen forces around you are, are conspiring to help you through this. You are and always have been supported. This does not need to be made conscious to manifest. In fact, you don't even have to know what is happening. However, the results are magnified a hundred times when you do. Use your personal power to invoke, pray, converse with, and be with the energetics of the universe. Realizing you are not alone releases the pressure and responsibility of having to do it all by yourself. And it makes it way more interesting. We are products of our beliefs and an integral co-creator of reality. If you believe you always have a team of guides and allies supporting and communicating with you, then that is what you will experience. If you believe that it is not possible or it only happens for others, then that too is what you will experience. You get to pick. Uh, and then I go on to, to speak a little bit to, um, to recognizing divine support. So I'll say one, one more piece here. Healing is the act of coming into union with wholeness, the whole of this universe and the omnipresence of spirit, trauma and grief give us the impression that we are separate from spirit, which is magnified by our pain. This fosters a sense of division that is reconciled primarily through the choices we make along the way. In the early stages after trauma, we question, how can there be such a thing as a holy and wise universe when this can happen to me? How can both exist within the context of the whole? This is a common human struggle and it might initially leave us feeling abandoned or neglected by spirit. What became apparent to me through time is that we cannot heal trauma without divine support. As much as we do not understand why something happened, the perspective and grace of spirit is required for us to tackle our soul wounds. We need the omnipotent point of view of the highest consciousness of the universe to lead us. This way, the truth, I don't know what to do, please help me with this, may be asked, spoken, and written down. This mantra, this prayer is needed before you can fully open to what help is present. It doesn't mean it wasn't there before, but when you ask, you demonstrate to spirit that you're humble and ready to receive a higher level of help. Healing becomes a conscious collaboration. And I'll leave it at that. (laughs) This makes me feel like the... It's like the whole, I mean, a word that I know is like the the field or the knowing field and this whole field that's actually holding and organizing. And when I think of you with Marilyn and like with, with the perpetrator and your, like, there's kind of this whole field that was unfolding that and guiding you and you were, and you were listening Mm -hmm. is my sense, but it's like, 
all the pieces, you know, like the reserve and just where you grew up and just all these, it's like this beautiful tapestry that was sort of weaving around and, and, and through you and with you. And um, that actually creates this beautiful poetic, like painful mm. and yet poetic feeling, I feel um, an embodiment of, um, forgiveness and healing and standing in those uncomfortable places. And I, I almost can feel why the field would want someone like you to be in that <laughs> because it's like, you know, it's almost like, like, wait, this is someone who can meet this, you know? And so the way that this was orchestrated, like there's sort of this divine brilliance mm. in it. Um, and even just having had the mom that you know. had, you know, whenever I hear about you know, it's like kind of like, wow, like how weird. Wow. And I yeah. mean, <laughs> I know, I mean, I, I think you've heard me say this one before, Courtney, but I'll, I'll say that piece. Um, there's a chapter on it in my book, but you know, what? for Rochelle and the listeners, the time of my mother's homicide, she had a affirmation on her mirror that said, you know, I forgive myself. I forgive everyone. I am free. And so one of the things at about the 10 year mark, as I started to contemplate forgiveness, uh, not that I hadn't thought of it in the first 10 years, however, I just wasn't ready for it. And so as I started to contemplate it, I knew I was like, what are the chances of a woman who was like brutally attacked? <clears throat> just a sec. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's just so hot. Um, <laughs> brutally attacked in the parking garage of her work, uh, you know, raped, she went missing for 10 days, there was this horrendous crime. What are the chances of her having uh, affirmation about forgiveness on her mirror? Right. And I could hear her spirit all the time speaking to me, Sarah, there's no accidents, everything happens for a reason, we choose everything. And I would most definitely be arguing with her in my head. And initially I'd be like, well, mom, you know, <laughs> once upon a time I believed you, but your credibility is really low because you know, you trusted your gut and guess what? You were murdered. And so in a lot of the book, uh, I'm speaking to the, the, um, the struggle initially. And how do I reconcile these things? How do I reconcile my own experience of trusting my gut? Because I ran my life by trusting my gut as I briefly mentioned earlier, I lived in some pretty precarious situations in my teens. And I had to learn that if I didn't listen to my instincts, I would be in harm's way because I didn't listen to my instincts <laughs> at times and I was in harm's way. And so you learn through that practice. And so, you know, I believed so much that everything happened for a reason. And so to come into that space of going, okay, what if somehow my mom and the universe are right about this? What if they're right? And that includes homicide. What if they're right? And that includes trauma. Is that possible? And, you know, most definitely, I believe that it is most definitely. I believe that, that we come here to learn these very, you know, difficult, uh, challenges and struggles and pain because it opens us in such a way to the power and beauty of our light and our connection to to grace and and this amazing place that we're in however it's those experiences that are the most defining ones uh, that awaken us yeah well and just so beautiful sarah how in this way you become um this bridge like the, the, the willingness for you to face where, who is this mm. perpetrator and who is this? It's almost like you've become this really beautiful bridge to bring awareness and to help, you know, white people mm. have a bridge to understanding really in a deeper way, the resident, like, and it's like, whoa, like what a profound bridge that is. But again, like the key piece I, I feel like you're saying is, is how important it is just for you and you're showing up for your authentic healing and your authentic journey led you into this greater yeah, mission yeah. in a way. You know? uh, and, and I mean, uh -huh. I absolutely feel that um, there was a direct link with Peter being in the parkade that day and the history of colonization. And so some of that drive was also, you know, from that, that little girl part of me that doesn't want other people to lose their mom in that way. 
you know, that wants to honor my mom's spirit and her legacy. And uh, so that was definitely some of the initial energy that motivated what I was doing. And, and then just following through on being conscious that I have to know for myself, how he ended up being there. And that responsibility is on me. And so, so often in speaking specifically to the history of Canada, and I mean, why not in light of everything that's happening right now (laughs) and, you know, it almost being Canada day. And so in, in recognizing what is the history and what do each of our ancestors, what was the role that they had to play consciously or unconsciously and how can each of us do our own work around reconciling that taking responsibility for that or making amends as whatever amends are and amends can be as simple as um again just listening and bearing witness and and tending to that peace um oftentimes i'll hear people uh who are white say i just want them to teach me <laughs> You know, I, I, but but nobody will teach me about it. I want them to, to educate me. And, and I, I think like Marilyn and I have talked about this before and, you know, it's just like, it's like, you know, you think of a, an experience of domestic of abuse of a man punching out a woman and then saying that she needs to show him what he can do better. Right. It's like putting the responsibility on somebody that was traumatized to be the one that therefore bears the burden of whatever the healing is. And of course there's ways that we do this and come together, but on an individual level, there's such, there's such power in us recognizing that to connect with our sense of place, our sense of land, our sense of relationship with where each of us are living right now, there is an ancestral piece in all of our bloodlines and connected to the ancestors of the land that we're on that we need to tend to. When we tend to that within our own selves, it connects us with the other humans um, that will help support that. Mm-hmm. And and Sarah, just to speak to that piece, like one of the great healings that I got in working with you was I was a social worker, you know, I was a social worker, I was working with social injustice, and I was working with Indigenous people. And there was so much, you know, that I was showing up for in that way. And yet I wasn't tending to, well, what's that wound in me? Like that's, that's calling me Mm. into these spaces, Mm. you know, and in working with you, a a lot of the tending that I got to do was to uncover, oh, like my ancestors who were colonized, you know, my ancestors, like Mm. way back, you know, my ancestors who were separated from their, um, you know, and to really hold that space of like, my ancestors both having been the victim and the perpetrator, you know, and both of those living inside of me and how that was so motivating my desire to show up as in social justice and show up as a social worker, but how much I couldn't really do that till I tended to those in myself, Mm -hmm. you know, like I couldn't Mm -hmm. really hold it until I from land and my ancestors you know mm-hmm. who then who then mm-hmm. perpetrated because that was so in them and so normalized in their experience and um and how important that piece has been for me in in being able to show up in my in life you know in this more integrated mm-hmm. way and the, the the container that you held allowed me to explore that um mm-hmm. in a bigger way mm-hmm. That's a beautifully said, Courtney, I had shivers when you were saying that because you articulated it so, so profoundly as well. And that, that I think is that exactly it for each of us is that ancestral peace and tuning into that and being conscious that, that we're not powerless, any of us, we have a, a place where we can direct our attention and our intention and utilize that to listen to whatever it is that is needed um, to bring ourselves and, and, this land into balance in a good way, mm. you know, to the best of our ability, because we did just spend an hour talking about how it's actually when we're out of balance that we learn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, like a lot of my, my, my awareness and my deeper meditations in the last couple of years has been like, I think actually this is perfect. Everything that's happening. I think it's actually all exactly what it's supposed to be. 
And I think this is in some ways what's always happened <laughs> for us humans, you know, different, different, maybe there's different clothes put on the experiences or the scenarios, but you know, we open, 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 we fall, we contract, we contract, we open, we open, we open, we open. And so, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You've given me so many shivers, this whole conversation. I've just been like, Oh, this is so oh, good. Me too. I feel like this blend. Well, I'm of, loving looking at both of you. Oh, I feel this blend of ease and empowerment and trust. And I really love just feeling the feeling of that. I get to choose. I get to choose all of this. <laughs> it's not seeking, yeah. seeking the truth and trying to find the best way to heal. It's like right there in, in my way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And uh, how beautiful it is when, when we really come home to ourselves and let go of all of the kind of minute or micro self betrayals that we can do on a, on a daily basis, uh, the ways that we might let ourselves down and we really come home to actually what is here is perfect. And I'm going to really fully be with this moment because there actually really isn't another one. That's not just a philosophy. That's not just a theory out there by the best of the best spiritual teachers. There actually isn't another moment (laughs) other than this one right here. And so if it's difficult or challenging, I want to feel it. And if it's um, exciting and joyful. I want to feel that too. And even if it's boring and it's so hot and I literally have moved my bed into the basement and, you know, like, and my hair is stuck to my body and, and this is amazing too. Like it's that, it's that real embodied is uh, uh, such a practice of loving what is here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man. And then you. it takes away all the it takes away all the pressure that there's like, <laughs> it's like oh, it's I like, know, no. it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know sometimes I'll watch my mind, you know, spinning with all of the other ideas, particularly once we get about past noon, you know, <laughs> noon is, is representative of uh, actually summer solstice in the wheel of the year. And so it's that time where all the things that we thought that we were going to get done throughout the day, all of the plans, we start to recognize that we probably won't even get half of them done, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and then you're kind of with yourself and what you're doing now and what you have energy for. And we're a little older in that place of knowing we also have to have some self-care that's fit into the day. And, you know, that often falls to the bottom of the list. And so it's being in that place of just like full acceptance of Hello, mind. Thank you for once again telling me all of the things that I could be doing. <laughs> all of the other things I'm not going to be with whatever is actually here right now. And recognize that that's all that I'm humanly capable of, of doing. I think, I think everybody dies with a, with a checklist of un, you know, unaccomplished, um, you know, things that they had to tidy or, or put away or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not important. It feels like that's kind of the fun of the journey is, um, is like we, they're the choice. What are we, where are we yeah. put our energy, you know? And then it kind of, cre- that's what we've something is the choice. It's, right. it's like the limitation is actually the beauty of then what ends up being created really. Yeah. I like that mm-hmm. Courtney. I, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The choice of it. And even the sense of humor, because I think it's so often the ego that, that really feels like it, it has all these additional things that must be accomplished. So <laughs> the humor, when we can witness that, when we can be like, wow, you thought you were really important today and what you were going to get done. Guess what? <laughs> you're not. <laughs> and it doesn't mean anything. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean you're not valuable. It doesn't mean, it just means it didn't get done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so glad that we got this podcast done. <laughs> yeah. And, and where I'm can really I get excited? You guys have, where can I, we get the copy of the book? Ah, yes. Well, uh, first off, I'd like to send one to both of you because mm-hmm. I realized that uh, that didn't happen. So we'll talk about that after. Mm-hmm. Um, for any of the listeners or the viewers, you can go onto my website at sarahsalterkelly.com. You can also order it, and it's trauma as medicine at any of the more known places, if that's what you would prefer, such as Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Ingram Sparks, or um, it is available in an ebook as well Mm. in that format. Mm. Uh, But if you order it from me, I will also personalize it for you with 
something like a nice saying in your name. (laughs) This is so exciting. I feel it's so exciting. I'm so excited because I know the, the, the impact that you, your journey and teaching has had on my life, like so Mm -hmm. fundamental to my journey and who I am and how I am in the world and how I show up in healing. Um, it's so exciting to me that now I can actually share your book and connect you, connect people directly with that, you know, and, um, that's, I'm really excited. More people are going to get to tune into all the wisdom. Yeah. Mm, That's awesome, Courtney. And, uh, um, I'm going to be coming up your way soon, but we can talk about that after. Mm. Uh, I really appreciate both of you having me here. It's, uh, it has just felt completely natural and what really great questions I've spoken on all sorts of different podcasts. And I love the different questions and yours have really come from such a um, just practical embodied place. And so that's beautiful that I think can be helpful for women, most definitely for women, but obviously for anyone who is in that place of um, seeking an embodied approach to healing. Thank you.